The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah before God brought judgment at the flood. But I will tell you that his great emphasis is to be ready. And wherever you read of Jesus' return, it's, you know, I've been looking at that word Advent as we're coming on to the coming of Christ as we celebrate Christmas. The arrival, the coming, the anticipation of his coming. Well, we often speak of his second advent, and we're to be eagerly anticipating his return and ready in the sense of living lives that please him, trusting in what he did the first time on the cross, and then giving our lives to him and devoting our time and energy to him until he returns. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Be Ready. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Matthew records Jesus describing his own return when he comes. And of course, every word he spoke is the very word of God. It's a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, and he described it. Pick it up with me in Matthew 24, verse 27. We'll just let it overlap a little bit. Just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be no question. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Uh, I think that's probably a picture because he's written this story earlier in the Old Testament. So I think it's probably a picture of the nations surrounding Jerusalem and gathering like vultures. And in fact, I want you to just listen because I, I got to say, you could go to church for years and never hear some of these great scenes that are right here in the Bible for us. And so I want to just read from the Old Testament. Uh, you don't need to try to try to find where I'm at. I'm going to go right back, though, really, to the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah. And I'm reading excerpts from the last three chapters of Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. It will come about in that day, the Lord says, that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. We've been seeing in Matthew 24 that Jesus is speaking a very Jewish message as he moves from the beginning of birth pangs to the real excruciating birth pangs that will bring crisis and climax and birth, ultimately, his return and the millennial kingdom. Now, having said that, there will be a time of trouble for Jacob. We talked about it last week, a time of real trouble for Israel as uh, during a seven-year period Daniel speaks of and the book of Revelation picks up on several times, uh, there will be unprecedented persecution of Israel. Well, in that day, it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, he writes, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem when Israel finally, in, 
is purged and repents of their unbelief and looks to the one that they killed and realizes that they crucified their Messiah. It's an amazing thing. And God steps in at this juncture in history in the sense that when his son returns, this is all going to happen. And in Revelation 1, it says he quotes this very verse and says, every eye will see him, uh, every one, not just Israelite eyes, but all eyes. And in chapter 13, he says this, Awake, O shepherd, or, or sword, against my shepherd, and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now we know, we don't have to guess, that he's speaking, as I've mentioned, the Old Testament speaks of this coming shepherd who will be crucified. And Matthew told, tells us, point blank, that this verse in Zechariah refers to his crucifixion. When he's seized, everybody's scattered. Okay, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And it will come about, he just moves right on, it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. Israel will go through a time of great grief after they strike the shepherd and scattered. He moves right to the end. He doesn't tell anything about the 2,000 years in between or more. We don't know how many years. But he says, I'll bring them through a time of purging and then... I will refine them as silver, test them as gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Now, that's right where Jesus left off. If you remember, if you're still there in Matthew 24, look at 23. Jesus said, after lamenting Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers your chicks, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Zechariah says it this way. Then they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people. Now, this is the last verse of Zechariah 13. I move right into 14, and it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, and I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to do battle, and the city will be captured and houses plundered, women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. He prophesies this horrific judgment. But then he says, the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day... And he's speaking, I believe, of this very juncture where Jesus says the vultures will be gathered. And it looks like the end. But the Lord will go forth in battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem 
on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley on my mountain, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. It will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither a day nor night, but it, it will come about at evening that there will be light. And he goes on, I won't read the rest of the chapter, but he goes on and speaks about the Lord ushering in a time of peace and what we know by reading the end of the New Testament, this thousand-year reign when Jesus Christ will reign. We'll come back now to Matthew 24, and he has swept through that whole era. He's talked about the beginning of birth pangs, the day we live in. I believe we will be raptured, and then the real birth pangs will begin. And you'll see a similarity to it, but it leads to a very quick closing judgment and crisis. And then I read Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Zechariah spoke about that. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will be gathered together for his elect. And they will gather together, excuse me, his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. It will be everyone on earth seeing it. Men have speculated, how could that be? If he comes, you know, the, what we're seeing in the daylight is the other side of the world. I mean, how could that be? And they say, well, maybe the networks will broadcast. I don't, I don't think he'll need the networks myself. <laughs> but I think it might be, as he, as he describes it, it might be, it's definitely going to be a showstopper, okay? And it might be that he comes down in such a way that as the world rotates... Everyone sees it. It won't be just, you know, like a flash of lightning and over. No, he'll, it will be like lightning. You don't miss it. But it will be something that, that a processional of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings returning with this sword in his mouth. And everyone will see it now, he says. Look at verse 32. Learn the parable from the fig tree. And by the way, I think in Mark, he says, and all the other trees. He's not making a big deal of a fig tree here. He's just saying, learn the parable of the fig tree and other trees. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. I mean, you could say this about many trees. There's this budding, and you know that spring is coming. And in fact, summer is near. So he says, learn the parable. A parable is something that will explain it. Everyday event will help us see the parallel in spiritual truth. And so he says, even so, verse 33, he applies it. You too, 
When you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right as the, at the door. Just, just like summer follows spring, just like when you see trees budding out, you know summer is near. He says, even so, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. When you see all what things? Well, he's only been speaking for, he's, he's given the sweep of history. And he said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. But that's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's just the beginning of birth pain. So we see all that up to our day. But then there's going to be this abomination of desolation and this amazing outbreak of similar things, but just with more and more frequency and intensity, the birth pangs will become excruciating, if you will. He says, when you see all these things, recognize he's near, right at the door. In fact, notice verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. When you see all these things, you can know that it's going to happen. And it won't be over a long period of time. No, in fact, the generation that sees the abomination of desolation, that sees the, the outflow of these birth pangs, will see the return of Christ. In other words, it would be a very compressed time. Uh, it won't be hundreds of years it won't be thousands of years. There are those who try to write much of Matthew 24 back way back to the first century, and uh, it really just doesn't... Not only is it, do you have to really spiritualize the text to see the Son of Man coming in His glory and every eye seeing Him, to try to write that back into history in the first century, I don't think that's legitimate myself. But anyway, he says, the generation that sees these things will see my return. You will see everything. He's near right at the door. All these things will take place. There won't be people passing off the scene like a generation or two or three. No, it's going to be compressed and very intense, and then I will return. You say, Scott, these are fabulous things you're saying. It's fantastic to think this way. And I say, look at verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You can count on it. Jesus wasn't throwing words around loosely. He said, when, he, when they asked him these questions, he didn't say, oh, don't worry about it, I'm coming back. No, he gave these truths for us to know, and he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. You know, he had used that same analogy early in his ministry. He said, uh, I'll turn back to it, Matthew 5, verse 18. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he, early in his public ministry, he said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of my word, it's all going to be accomplished. Okay? Did you know that the one who holds all things together, Colossians 1.17 says, the scientists can't really understand today 
what holds the atomic, what, what keeps it from blowing apart? There's, it's still a mystery to science. Colossians says Jesus Christ holds it together, the creator of the universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. You can bank on his words. He said heaven and earth will pass away. They will. Mount Hood will be gone. Heaven and earth will pass away. Now, there are those who think, well, maybe he'll renovate it. And I'm not going to argue with that. Maybe he will. But he uses language like heaven and earth will pass away. Peter, writing in Second Peter, said the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You know, Jesus had used that analogy several times. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up, Second Peter 3.10. That's pretty strong language. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. The things people depend on... Remember how this conversation got started? They said, Lord, look at these. Look at these stones that they built this building with. Look at this architecture. And he said, let me tell you, not one stone will be left on another. And then he would... Want, he's trying to get our attention pretty clearly. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Commit that verse to memory. Matthew 24, 35. Every word of God is tested. You know, this book will never go obsolete. This book is alive and active. Every word of God is tested, Proverbs 30, verse 5. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I know that this book is ridiculed. I know that it's ignored. I know that it's neglected. But if you bank your life on the foundation of God's word, you'll never be disappointed. And in fact, he is your shield. By trusting in his word, Proverbs 30 is a parallel. It's a parallelism, you might say. It's Hebrew poetry. He says, every word is tested. And I would expect him to say, it is a shield. But he says, he is a shield. By trusting in every word he wrote, you're trusting in him. He is a shield to those who take refuge. And that's why Jesus said things that I just, I love because we love to mull it over. His words are like no one else's. He said, my words are spirit and are life, John 6, 63. And when he asked the guys in that context, when crowds were leaving because they didn't like what he was saying, he asked them and Peter spoke for them, Lord, to whom should we go? You have words of eternal life. Uh, it's good to know this. You know, the words of the Lord, the psalmist says, are like silver refined in a furnace, smelted out, you know, and refined seven times. God never throws words around loosely. And I think it's so encouraging to see it right in this context that what he's saying about the end will take place. He doesn't say these things lightly. Now, verse 36, of that day... An hour, because remember, they'd asked him, when's this going to be? When will these things take place? This is the only thing he says about when. <laughs> Everything else has been about the signs of what will, be, what will occur before he returns, which that was their second question. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And he explained what will be the signs, the evidences that he's getting near right at the door. And then as to the time, notice what he says, verse 36, of that day and hour, no one knows. 
not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. I speak reverently here, but Jesus said this. I believe that in his enfleshment, when the word became flesh, in his incarnation, in his humanity, he voluntarily took on flesh, Philippians says. He humbled himself and became man, and he voluntarily set aside some of his divine privileges. He remained God, but he limited himself. He got hungry when he walked. He got tired. He says, of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels, not even the Son, only the Father. It's my opinion that when they asked him about it again, right at the end, he said, you know, they said, are you now going to establish the kingdom, Lord, in Acts 1? And he said, you know, it's not for you to know that times are epics. Remember that? He said, it's not for you. But he didn't say it's not for you and me to know. He said, it's not for you to know. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes. And then he said, he didn't say anything. He said, he was ascended right before them. And I'm confident that the Son, God, knows when he's coming back now. But during his humility, he said it this way. Now, what about it? Verse 37, through 44, he basically says, be ready. And in verse 45 through the end, and we'll look at both of these because they're very interesting next time. In your readiness, be faithful. He's coming, but we don't have to be caught by surprise in the sense of we don't know the time, but he says, be ready. He says, the moral climate, before I get back, verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah before God brought judgment at the flood. And I won't take, in fact, we don't have the time, so I can't take the time, but I will tell you, that his great emphasis is to be ready. And wherever you read of Jesus' return, it's, you know, I've been looking at that word Advent as we're coming on to the coming of Christ as we celebrate Christmas. The arrival, the coming, the anticipation of his coming. Well, we often speak of his second Advent, and we're to be eagerly anticipating his return and ready in the sense of living lives that please him, trusting in what he did the first time on the cross and then giving our lives to him and devoting our time and energy to him until he returns. He's coming back. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Be Ready, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. 
We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request along with your gift of any size to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. People will be caught by surprise. Verse 42, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Well, you say, well, they don't know the time or the day. You know, no, we don't. We don't know the day or the hour. But if I told you that someone's going to break into your house tonight between 2 and 3, you'd be ready. <laughs> you wouldn't. But most of us, we just go to bed and sleep through it and find out <laughs> what happened. You know, And that's what he's describing. He says, it'll be like a thief in the night. And the New Testament picks up on this in Thessalonians. He says, it'll be like a thief in the night. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night without preparation. He says, be ready for this. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Be on the Alert. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 